here again. So we're about to begin a biblical journey through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Before I get started, I want to remind you that I will occasionally be changing the pronouns in some of the verses that I go through for the purpose of having you better understand who's who in the Bible verse. I will give you an example of what I mean when I get to a Bible verse or verses that are loaded with pronouns. Before I get started in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, I'm going to give you a backstory on what goes on just before the Acts chapter 1 events are to unfold. And for that backstory, I'll take you into the last chapters of the book of John. So we're going to go to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. It says, Now on the first day of the week, now I'm going to interject here all the time. That's what I do. I talk a lot. On the first day of the week, Now, again, the first day of the week would have been Sunday. Remember that in Christ's day, a Jewish day started at 6 a.m. and not at 12 a.m. like it does in America. So the first day of the week in Israel would have been any time after 6 a.m. in the morning. Again, remember, their their days start at 6 in the morning. They go from 6 to 6. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details on why Mary shows up on a Sunday, uh, but I'll let you know that on a Sabbath, which was their Saturday, they wouldn't have been able to touch the dead body. So Mary had to wait till 6.01. I'm sure she was there at 6.01 a.m. hoping to run into the tomb, finish dressing up the dead body of Christ. A little side note, where's all the rest of these diehard followers, Andrew and Peter and John? You think they would have been at that tomb at 6.01 a.m. along with Mary, anxious to get in there even though they knew that their their Redeemer or their Savior was dead, they would have been there just to see him and to help finish burying him. But no, they weren't around. So anyways, it goes on. Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone had already was taken away from the tomb. So it says in verse 2 that Mary ran, however far she had to run, I don't know, and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Yeshua loved, who was John. And said to them, who the them are Peter and John, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, Mary believes that the dead body of Christ has been stolen or purposely removed from his tomb. So now I got a backstory on a backstory. In the book of Luke, we see that initially none of the apostles believed Mary's report about the tomb being empty. It says in Luke 24, verse 8 through 11, And they, there's that pronoun again, I mean, you're going to see a lot of these, it can be confusing. And they, they being Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, remembered Christ's words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the apostles and to all the rest of the disciples. Now Luke 24.10 explains who the they were. It says in verse 10, Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also the other women were with them telling these things to the apostles. So there we are, these faithful women. They're all trying to get these apostles. Hey guys, the body's gone. Verse 11, this is Luke 24, 11, But these words appear to be nonsense to the apostles. And the apostles would not believe the women who had been to the tomb. Yeah, so much for being faithful men of God, huh? Well, maybe it's just me, but if I've been around on Peter's day and I knew some faithful followers of Yeshua came to talk to me and say, hey, the tomb is empty, I would have said, really? Let's go take a look at it. I wouldn't have doubted them. I knew that these were faithful women of God. Now, fortunately, Peter seems to eventually believe the women because if we go back to John chapter 20, verse 3, we read, So Peter and John went to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. That means John was a faster runner than Peter, probably short and younger. And stooping and looking in, John 
saw the linen wrappings laying there, but John did not go in. Here's old faithful John. You know, it's like, I'm not going to stick my head in here. It's kind of creepy in here. I'm not really sure what's going on, but I can see there's something missing here. I see the linen wrappings laying on the floor, but he didn't want to go inside the tomb. It says in verse 6, and finally Simon Peter came along, probably breathing hard. Good go, John. That way you that embarrass me. Following John, and he entered the tomb. So Peter goes in the tomb, and Peter saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been on Yeshua's head. Here's a side note. If any of you are wondering if the Shroud of Turin is a real deal, this verse exposes that the Shroud of Turin is really a fake. Notice there was a face covering, a separate face covering on the head of Yeshua, and a separate body covering. Well, the Shroud of Turin is just one big giant piece, so I'm not going to get into it, but... Again, once more, the scriptures verifies and proves that one more thing out there in the religious realm that claims to be a a part of Christ or a part of John or Peter or a piece of the cross or, in this case, the Shroud of Turin, a blanket which covered Yeshua Christ, is a hoax. Anyways, back to John chapter 20, verse 7. It continues. So Peter sees that the face wrapping is not piled up with the other wrappings that are rolled up in a special spot in the tomb. Verse 8. So finally, John, who had first come to the tomb, also entered the tomb. And John saw and believed, it says in verse 8. So John became a believer. Hold on. That's not what you're thinking. This verse is not saying that John believed that Yeshua Christ had risen from the dead. This verse is simply saying that finally, John now believes the dead body of Christ is gone. Where it is, John doesn't have a clue. It says in John chapter 20, verse 9, For as yet Peter and John did not understand the scripture, that Yeshua Christ must rise again from the dead. Here I interject again. I'm going to do this a lot again. Even though Yeshua Christ had told these boys over and over again that he would die and resurrect from the dead, and even though Mary and the other Mary and Joanna remembered Christ's words, Peter and John are still scratching their head trying to figure out what the heck is going on here. Let me just give you one Bible verse to remind you that Yeshua Christ had told his followers that he was going to suffer and die. It says in Matthew 16, 21, From that time forward, Yeshua began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. You think these guys would have got that? I think if somebody tells me, uh, you know what, down the road, I'm going to be tortured, killed, and come back to life in three days, I'd have remembered that event. I would have remembered that. I would have think. Jeez, when it finally happened, my brain would have went, remember what he told us? He was going to go through this. So you, you'd think it would have kicked in, but it didn't kick in with these guys. just always amazes me. So back to the book of John. It says in John chapter 20, verse 10, So the two disciples went away again to their homes. Again, I interject. So these two supposed followers of Yeshua Christ left the scene scratching their heads, not quite sure what happened to the body of Christ. So anyways, it says in John chapter 20, verse 11, But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Yeshua had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Again, interjecting, Mary still thinks that the dead body of Christ was stolen by some. It says in John 20, 14. So when Mary had said this, she turned around and saw Yeshua standing there. And did not know that it was Yeshua. So now there's three people in this tomb. Verse 15, Yeshua said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Yeshua said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Yeshua said to her, Stop clinging to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So these apostles were told once by one or a couple of the women that they came to the tomb was empty, and the apostles didn't believe the women then. Well, they had to go run to the tomb themselves. Well, now, after they ran to the tomb, the apostles, they lost the left, and then Mary's standing there, and Yeshua shows up. So Yeshua talks to Mary, and he says, go tell the brethren I'm alive. So she runs back, and now the second time, she's going to meet these guys. Now she has to convince them that she's seen the resurrected Yeshua. How's this going to go? Now I can only speculate. Again, this is Bob's speculation. You don't read about these men running back to the tomb to meet Yeshua. Let's go talk to Yeshua. He's in the tomb. Mary, he's in the tomb. We're going to go talk to him. These guys like, okay, I think maybe a little shock has set in with Mary. She's a little bit nanu, nanu, you know, whatever, whatever it is. These guys don't see too pumped up and excited about it. In fact, they're, they spend the rest of the day just kind of sitting around, I think, probably moping, maybe thinking, well, some of these women are seeing stuff. What are, what's going on here? They're not really quite sure what's going on. But these apostles didn't run back to the tomb hoping to catch a glimmer of Yeshua. They just stayed where they were at. So what's missing in this story between John chapter 20 verse 18 and John 20 19 is the story about Christ on the road to Emmaus. You need to read the road to Emmaus story on your own. The story starts in the book of Luke chapter 24 verse 13. There's some enlightening info in that story. I'm not going to go there. So after Mary comes back and tells the apostles she's seen Yeshua, a resurrected Yeshua, these apostles are still kind of hanging out someplace. In fact, they're hiding out. It says in verse John chapter 20 verse 19, so when it was the evening on the day, on the same day, that first day of the week Sunday, so this is later in the day on Sunday, when the doors were shut, wherever they were at, the disciples were there for fear of the Jews. They had everything locked up. They thought, well, if they came to get the body of Yeshua, that means they're coming for us next. Yeshua came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Yeshua said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when Yeshua had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now there's all kinds of speculation amongst Bible scholars on what went on in this verse. Some say that was the start of the church. The only problem was is that Thomas wasn't there. Others say that this was a unique event through which Christ supernaturally indwelt these future church leaders with a special manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Others say this was a symbolic thing that Christ did. And to be honest with you, I don't have a clue why Christ did this, but I can give you my biblical opinion. Remember, the Apostle Thomas was not present when this happened, so that should give us an idea about the Holy Spirit being inside these apostles before the day of Pentecost. The NESA Bible says when Yeshua breathed on them. Well, in the original Greek, the word on them is not in there. It's just said when Yeshua breathed. It is unlikely that Yeshua gave the Holy Spirit at this time. And why do I say that? Well, remember, Christ had said earlier that the Holy Spirit would not come to them until he had left them. That's in John chapter 7 and John 16. And even immediately prior to his ascension, he instructed them to wait for the Spirit's coming in Acts chapter 1. 
Now, many of our signs and wonder-seeking brethren believe that this was the first indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And on that day of Pentecost, the brethren receive a second indwelling or a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to spend much more time debunking that concept, but I will say this about that. Christ is not a liar. If he told his apostles that they would not receive the Holy Spirit until after he had left planet Earth, I believe him. Yeshua Christ would be a liar if he told his apostles that they would not receive the Holy Spirit until he ascended and then turned around and disobeyed that prophetic word by breathing on them and supernaturally giving them the Holy Spirit. So I believe what's going on in John chapter 20, verse 22, is just one of those unusual events or circumstances that we're not really going to know the clear picture of what was going on there until we get to the other side. And then we step into eternity, we can go, ah, that's what Christ was doing or not doing or whatever. So back to the book of John. John chapter 20, verse 23. Yeshua Christ goes on to tell these apostles, not the church, not 120 people, to tell these apostles who are going to be giving them some pretty amazing power. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Yeshua Christ knew that he would soon be leaving planet Earth. So he was passing some of his God authority on to the apostles. Remember, only God has the authority to forgive sin. So, by Christ passing this authority to forgive or not forgive sin onto his apostles, God was showing the world that these were the men he would be working through as he established his church. Probably, a, to me, an obvious example is this of what Peter did with Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, the death sentence was put on Ananias and Sapphira because they lied. Peter, being the apostle, the man of power there, he took out their lives. They died. Peter had the ability and the power to forgive them or not. And for whatever reason, supernaturally, the Lord gave him this revelation, Peter, these people need to die. The Apostle Paul kind of did a similar thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He found out that there was somebody sleeping with his mother. And Paul was really upset that the church was just kind of tolerating this. And he said, you know what, I'm going to hand this guy over to Satan so Satan can beat on him. Well, Paul was the apostle. He had the authority to do that. We don't. We can't hand people over to Satan. Again, Paul had that special authority from God to deal with people, how he seemed fit or how the Lord, what the Lord put in his heart to how to deal with them. Now, even with that said, in a way, in a way, in a general way, all true born-again, blood-bought believers have the ability and the head knowledge to recognize that once a lost person accepts Yeshua Christ as their Savior, their sins are forgiven. So if you're somebody who's born again and you share with somebody and they get saved, and you, you have the head knowledge and the ability because of what you know Christ did to pay for sin. So look at somebody who used to be lost and now is born again. You can say to them, hey, your sins are forgiven you. Because you know that they believe that Christ paid for them. I hope you understand what I'm going with that. Just as believers have the ability and the head knowledge to tell someone who rejects Christ as their Savior that their sins are not forgiven them. There's a lot of lost people who think, oh, I don't need Yeshua Christ to have my sins forgiven. I can do this sacrament or whatever it is, la, la, la. Well, as a believer, I have the, I have the uh, ability and the knowledge to tell to that law, to sh- share with that lost person, hey, what you're doing, you might think it's right, but it's not biblically right, and that's not what pays for sin. So I just want to let you know that sacrament that you're doing is not going to remove your sins. We have the ability to do that because of our knowledge of the gospel. I hope that makes sense to you. Now, unfortunately, verses like these in John chapter 20, verse 23 get hijacked by false religions like the Catholic religion who, out of both biblical ignorance and a lack of Holy Spirit knowledge and enlightenment, use a verse like this to teach their sheep 
that they have the authority to forgive sin. That's what the whole Catholic priest confessional thing is about. They, they look at a verse like this and they take it literally meaning, well, I'm a priest. I can have people come to me and we can go to confessional. They can confess their sins to me and I can forgive their sins, which is a bunch of hogwash. Yeah, don't get me started on the wickedness of the Catholic religious system. I'm an ex-Catholic. I know all about the those demonic, satanic stuff going on in that Catholic religious system. So back to John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Yeshua came the first time. So the other disciples were saying to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. No, I'm going to interject. you think Thomas would look at these apostles after what they had recently seen and, and done. you think Thomas would have listened to his best friends, his closest friends, and said, really? You saw this, and you saw this, and you saw this? Tell me about what you saw. I'm excited. I want to hear about it. No, no, no. Not doubting Thomas. He says, I'm not going to believe unless I see him myself. So it says in John 20, verse 26, And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Yeshua came the doors again, having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach in here with your finger and see my hands, and reach in here and put... And put your hand into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now again, I would be speculating, but I, I think Yeshua probably had a little frown on his eyebrows with Thomas. Thomas, are you kidding me? Here's my closest followers. They told you what happened. They told you I saw that they saw me and yet you doubted them. Come on, Thomas. Here you go. Come over here. Like a little child. Come over here. Come over here and touch me, Let me so I can strengthen your faith. Whatever. I think Yeshua Christ was probably a little bit perturbed with Thomas. But anyways, verse 28, it says, Thomas answered and said to Yeshua, my Lord and my God. And Yeshua said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. That would be us believers today. It would be all the believers who would get saved after all the supernatural, miraculous event stuff had ended. Yeshua Christ is speaking of the person who gets saved simply through faith in the gospel of Christ without any side effects or sideshow or miraculous events or touching, feeling the holes in Christ's hand. That's what real faith is. To just hear this message of Christ and to believe it is the type of faith that really pleases the Father. It's easy to believe stuff when you see and touch and feel things. But just to believe God's word for what it is, God's word, is a faith that really impresses the Lord. So for sake of time, a Reader's Digest condensed version of John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, we have the story of the unrecognizable Christ. He's in stealth mode for a while, keeping his identity hidden from these guys who are out fishing. Uh, and he meets these guys after a hard night of fishing without catching anything. Again, this unknown to the fisherman man, who is Yeshua, who's disguising himself, Again, who Peter and the boys don't quite recognize, tells Peter to try this one spot that Peter doesn't know that Yeshua has called a bunch of fish to. Well, if you know your scriptures, the result of Peter obeying this man results in them catching a lot of fish. And the result of that, bingo, the light goes off in Peter's head, and he recalls who it was who performed this miracle before. So if you read Luke chapter 5, you go to Luke chapter 5, the same thing happened when Christ first met these men. Uh, they had spent the whole night fishing, didn't catch anything. He told them, hey, put your net out here in the deep water. And they were saying, well, Lord, we worked all night. There's no fish around. And so anyways, they, they obeyed the Lord and they caught a whole bunch of fish. And then Simon Peter recognized that who this person was who had did this. And he recognized it was the Lord. 
and that was the start of his journey on becoming a fisher of men. So in John chapter 21, after the fishing miracle takes place, these fishermen again realize who they're talking to, and they get all pumped up and have a fish bake on the beach. And then Peter goes through some neutetic counseling by Christ. And even after these events, in the end of chapter 21, Peter once again takes his eyes off the spiritual ball and gets caught up in self. I'm not going to say much more about chapter 21 except to say this. It says in John 21, 17 and 19, Yeshua said, Peter, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, Peter, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. It says in verse 19, Yeshua said this to let Peter know by what kind of death he would glorify God. I wanted to share these verses to put to rest the silly idea that if a, a believer chooses to faithfully serve their Savior, life will be grand for the believer. There are Bible verses which some people take out of context that seem to imply that nothing will or can harm someone if they're sincerely and genuinely walking with the Lord. There are sincere but biblically ignorant believers who foolishly think that God promises a life of physical well-being and abundance and a healthy, a healthy life with never having any ailments. That's just not what the Bible teaches. Eleven of the twelve apostles will suffer and be executed for walking faithfully with their Savior. So as you go on in Acts chapter 1, I just wanted to make you all aware of the pomp and circumstance that led up to this moment in time. If you know your scriptures, then you know that there was a lot of confusion, panic, fear, and discouragement for Yeshua's followers once they saw their leader get captured, tortured, and murdered. Most Jews, including the followers of Yeshua Christ, were expecting the Lord to set up and establish his kingdom on earth at this time. He talked about it all the time when he went through his um, three-year ministry period, even though Christ had told them on numerous occasions that he had come to die and not set up his kingdom. Right up until these Yeshua followers started to see strange events going on around the tomb of Christ and, and the strange visitations by the resurrected Yeshua, the followers of Christ had pretty much lost hope. And then, boom, the resurrected Savior starts making supernatural appearances around town. The resurrected Yeshua Christ shows up by Mary, encouraging her with his appearance and telling her to go tell the apostles that he's alive. The resurrected but hidden Yeshua Christ shows up on the road to Emmaus in order to encourage some distraught and discouraged men of God. And then Yeshua Christ supernaturally shows up in the midst of his closest followers who are hiding out somewhere in Jerusalem, fearful of their lives. And finally, we read in the last chapter of the book of John that Yeshua Christ supernaturally pops in on the apostles who are out fishing. So just in a short period of time, we read of the followers of Christ going from being totally confused and discouraged and fearful by Christ's death to read of them getting spiritually pumped up by the numerous supernatural appearances of the now no longer dead Christ. I personally believe that even though Yeshua Christ had did numerous amazing miracles in his life, the one miracle that by far changed these followers of Christ was Christ's resurrection. Remember what happened in Luke chapter 24? In Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 8, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of Lord Yeshua. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. 
Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Verse 8 is the key. Then they remember that Yeshua Christ had said this. Now it's important to understand that the they here are the women, not the apostles, the women. The women remembered this. That's right, he did tell us this. Now, I would think that anyone who was the close follower of Yeshua Christ would not have forgotten this if Christ had told it to me, and yet they did. Just picture it. Christ is speaking back a couple years back. Oh, by the way, everybody listen. Not many days from now, the Jewish religious leaders are going to arrest me and then kill me. Now, maybe it's just me, but I believe that if Yeshua Christ had told me that, on numerous occasions, I would have remembered it. Anyways, after all these supernatural manifestations of the risen Savior, things are looking up for the followers of Yeshua, which leads us into the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Now, since I'm running out of my ordained by my podcast company minutes, I'm going to stop right here. However, I'm going to ask you to do something that will better prepare you for understanding what I'll be teaching in the book of Acts. If you have a computer, Bible computer program at home, or you can edit words in Bible verses, or even if you have an old paperback Bible that you can write in, what I would like you to do before I actually get into the book of Acts in my next podcast is to replace all the pronouns in all the Bible verses in the first chapter of the book of Acts with the proper nouns. That means you will have to slowly read through each verse and carefully determine who the they's, them's, he's, yours, him's, you's, etc., etc. are. If you do that, I promise you by the time we get to Acts chapter 2, it will be clear as a bell that the only people who were together on the day of Pentecost were the 12 apostles. Brethren, listen to me. God's people can't walk by faith if they don't know what the truths of the faith are. Contrary to what many of you are taught, being a faithful and whatever you do, child of God, is not the end-all for being seen by your Heavenly Father as being a faithful child. Brethren, if you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, at the judgment seat of Christ, it's not enough to just be faithful. We must be faithful to those truths of scriptures that the good Lord has given His church. There's all kinds of believers out there in the church who are adding to the scriptures, taking away from the scriptures. They're doing what seems right in their own eyes. And you know what? It's not going to matter to God. And what's going to matter to God is if you do what the book says. Our Heavenly Father gave us those truths for a reason. He doesn't expect us to ignore them and to do what seems right or feels right in our own eyes. I'm just telling you, you got to know what the truths are. And you got to figure out which truths are for the church age. That's another confusing problem. There's a lot of people caught up in stuff that no longer is applicable for the church age. But you got to be able to discern stuff to figure that out. And hopefully as I go through the book of Acts, I can better help you discern God's biblical truths. Your true friend in and for Christ, Brother Bob. Speaking the truth in love because so few are these days.